0: welcome to this week's message from a new church for more information or if you'd like to contact us please visit our website newchurch.nz thanks for tuning in and we hope you enjoy this message Four weeks ago, we started a series all about the Holy Spirit, um, and we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. I know it seems a long time ago now, but um, this is the second part. So why I've called it Father, Son, and the other guy, um, it's almost like these days, um, to a lot of us, we sort of understand Jesus, who is God, the Son. Um, and we understand that he died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. We need a relationship with him. So, And we always love talking about Jesus because he must be the center of our life. We understand God the Father um, who's loving and caring. God loved the world so much he gave his son to us. So we understand God the Father. But God the Holy Spirit is sort of something we don't think about a lot. Um, and if you've ever been to those family um, occasions where there's like that strange uncle that's usually sitting in the lazy boy in the, You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's like there, and he's sort of kind and nice, but you're not quite sure. He's just always there, but he's just the other guy. Um, And for so many of us, the Holy Spirit is like the other guy Um, in in the Trinity. We know a lot about God the Father. We know a lot about God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit. So this is um, the motivation behind this is to really give us an understanding um, and and a real um, appreciation of God the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit is a person, um, and He loves us. He loves to be with us. So, if you didn't access that or weren't here for it, um, it's online. It's on um, YouTube, um, so you can check out that first uh, message, which is really foundational because um, God's not uh, God, the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not like this um, ethereal power that we. He's personal. He's a person. So that is foundational. Then the second one here, um, we're going to be looking at. Um, Holy Spirit, the promise, and then Holy Spirit's pr- the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and Pentecost. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series. Today, though, looking at the promises of the Holy Spirit, most of them almost all but one coming from Jesus, when Jesus taught his disciples and encouraged them and, and made them excited about this incredible new thing um, that the Holy Spirit was coming to dwell inside of his people. So the first promise... In John 14, 16 to 17, and I covered this last month, this is what Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. That word there means friend, counselor, support, um, advocate, intercessor. It's it's a huge word. Um, Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Now, this would have blown the disciples' mind because. They understood uh, the Old Testament. They were very familiar with the stories, like of Saul when he was about to be king. It said the Holy Spirit came upon him and then he started prophesying, and people said, Isn't Saul among the prophets? So um, they understood how the Holy Spirit would come upon people, like Samson's another example, for a specific purpose. Holy Spirit gave them supernatural ability and then the Holy Spirit left. So they understood that many times. The Holy Spirit would come come upon people or be with people, but Jesus is saying something completely new here that not only will the Holy Spirit be with His people, the Holy Spirit, which is God, will be inside His people, that we would be walking around and we would have God on the inside of us. Isn't that just God, we're talking about God, the creator of the universe. He spoke, and his universe was created, and yet he's given his children the opportunity to have such a close relationship with, with him that he's gonna live inside of us. That's just it still makes me so excited. Now I ask you this question: if we're really carrying God around on the inside of us, that must change the way we behave. Say if if the Holy Spirit was a person and he is. Um, and he was hanging out with you for a weekend, how would our lives change? Would we go to certain places? Would we watch certain things? Would we say certain things? That's a huge challenge. The truth is God is with us. God is in us. So years ago, we did a youth leaders gathering. It was a camp out at rural Kaka, and I gave um, all the youth leaders an egg, and I said, guys, the egg represents the Holy Spirit. And I know it sounds a little bit sacrilegious, but it wasn't. Um, and I said, I just want you guys to look after this egg. It has to be on your person the whole weekend, um, just to give us the understanding that, you know, would we act any differently if we understood very realistically that, that God was with us everywhere, and it was an illuminating experience. I remember um, Brendan Vanderholz, Um, Is he here this morning? Um, I saw him out on the swings, and he had, like, egg all over his jeans. <laughs> And he said, Simon, I broke the Holy Spirit. Or oh, he said something like that. Um, and he had forgotten that he had put the egg in his pocket. Um, and he was really sad about that. But it, it proved my point. Would we act differently if we were carrying around God? The answer is yes. The truth is we are carrying around God with us. God not just with us, God in us. Second promise. John 16, it's just a couple of chapters on, and this is what God says in verse 7, and then we're going to carry on verse 12. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, there's that word again, um, support, comforter, counsellor, friend, uh, the advocate won't come, if I do go away, then I will send him to you. Verse 12, there is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the, whole, when the Spirit of truth, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Promise number two, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. This is something that is, if you're writing down anything, write this down. Truth needs a guide. For us to be guided into all truth, we absolutely need a God. We can't guide, we can't find that truth by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And that's why Jesus was so specific. He says, I've got to go back. Back to the Father, if I don't, um, the Holy Spirit can't come. He's going to be the one who guides you into all truth. Truth needs A guide. Now we're living in a crazy mixed up time where everyone thinks that truth is relative and my truth doesn't need to be your truth and I'm carrying around my own truth and it can be completely different to your truth. What say my truth was that all the money you've got in your pocket right now is my money. So I can just go and just pinch all your money and now that's my truth, your money's my money. And then your truth would be actually, nah, my money's my money. Um, Then you get into a fist fight. Can you understand how ridiculous my truth can be different to your truth is? It just doesn't work. It sounds good but it never works. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. There is one truth and we can know Him, but we need a guide. Remember back in 2010, Christy and I were privileged to go to Israel for two and a half weeks. For the first two weeks, uh, we were with a a huge group. It was amazing. It was a proper tour. Um, And we had um, a few amazing guides. Now, they were living in Israel. They could speak the language. They knew the culture. They knew uh, which places were dangerous. They knew which places weren't. They knew which places, if you got into it, and there was a dangerous situation, how to get out of that situation. And for the first two weeks, we we felt so safe. We trusted the guide. The guide knew what he was doing, and where he led us, we would go, and we had full security. He knew what he was doing. He was guiding us into the truth of that place. And then um, the tour finished, and then Christy and I were left there by ourselves for um, three days. We thought, great, this is awesome. How hard can it be? Let's go exploring the city of Israel, Jerusalem. And we just got so lost. Uh, Man. We decided to walk to the museum one day, and it honestly took us two hours. Um, No kidding. We thought we could save some money. Um, And we got there, and the museum had shifted like years ago. It was an old map that we were looking at. (laughs) We just got completely lost. Truth needs a guide. Now, we were in the middle of the place, and we didn't have a clue. We were, this, this lovely man comes along and says, I will be your guide. I, I know what to do. So he started leading us into, into all these corridor, uh, corridors. It looked like a labyrinth of all these places. And um, every minute we were going on, it's like, this is getting a little bit creepy. What's going on? We found out we were completely lost. We don't, didn't even know and there was this guy there. Then he started demanding money of us. Um, we were deceived by the wrong guide. How many times in this world are we being, we're trying to lead, go through this world by ourselves and lead our own journey or being deceived by so many other false guides in this world? Now, the vo- situation got very volatile until just at that time another group of people came through and we were like saved, we sort of just hooked up with them. And, um, but yeah, it just got very scary really quick realizing that we didn't know where we were. This guy was getting very aggressive towards us, demanding stuff of us, and we had no idea what we were doing. That's the state of the world today with most people. They're on a journey. They are completely lost. They don't have a clue where they're going, and they're being deceived by the false guides of this world. Truth needs a guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide, so it goes without saying, let's just get as close to the guide as we can. Let's get as much of the guide as we can. Let's give our lives wholeheartedly to the guide of our lives. I love 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. This is my favorite verse this week. It says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. No, the Holy Spirit knows your future. Your future is amazing in God. So if your guide knows your future, you need to get close to him. If he's got a path down, predestined for you and assigned to you the life in which God is calling you, the life that that God has got for you. Wouldn't it make sense to just get so close to the guide? And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit who will guide us into all truth. He knows the future of your life. That is so exciting. Promise number 3, Acts chapter 1, verse 2 onwards. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. Just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus left instructions through the Holy Spirit for the apostles he had chosen. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over the 40-day period, proving to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom. Verse 4, Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift of the, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in water. The Holy Spirit, promise number three given by Jesus about the Holy Spirit, that something was going to be happening soon, that the the disciples needed to stay in Jerusalem because Jesus was going to give them this incredible gift the Father had promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days now you will be baptized in water the Holy Spirit. What does that word baptize mean? We usually associate it with water baptism, but how was it understood in the culture of the time, and how was it used? It's baptizo, I think, in the Greek, and it really means to completely submerge or to completely immerse. It was a business term that people in the dyeing industry, I don't know what it's called, the, you know, dyeing fabrics, that was what um, where it was mostly used, when you got a piece of fabric or a robe or whatever it was, a cloak, and you immersed it into the bucket of dye or the barrel of dye or whatever they used to contain the dye, when that um, piece of material was completely submerged, completely immersed, that was being baptized, that fabric was baptized. Now, um, some churches believe that sort of sprinkling waters like baptism. It actually isn't biblically. Biblically, when you see the word baptized, it means completely submerged, uh, to be completely saturated. Now, if you're a, a log um, being baptized in the ocean, that log is waterlogged, being filled with that which you've been immersed into. So when Jesus says you are going to be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit, the disciples now understood because of the word that Jesus was saying that they were going to be completely overwhelmed, completely saturated, completely filled in the Holy Spirit. And again, they're thinking, wait a second, we're gonna be completely immersed in God? This is so amazing. This is so incredible. That's what, when we hear the word baptized in or baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's what it means. And Jesus is promising this encounter to his followers. They would have been so excited. Just think of the progression here. He's saying the Holy Spirit's with you. Remember the Old Testament stories, but now he's gonna be living in you and uh, you're gonna have this this. God living in you, God, and He's going to guide you into all truth. He knows your future, and you're going to be completely submerged and saturated in God. They would have been so excited. I challenge us today. How excited are we still about this? Or is the Holy Spirit just the other guy? Is the Holy Spirit just that weird uncle that's sitting in the lazy boy at Christmas and Easter time with the extended family functions? Promise number four. So that was Acts 1. Now we're looking at X, uh, Sorry, verses 2 and 4. This is Acts 1, chapter 8, the, the fourth time Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. I promise you this. So in case you were a little bit confused, are these really promises? I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant prom- provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. Now, I know we live in a time where a promise, you know, a lot of us are sort of sceptical when someone makes a promise now. Because it's like, I, I promise I'm going to wash the car. You know, I've made that promise to my wife before, many, many times. And, and a lot of times I break that promise unfortunately. Um, So people can make promises now, and we sort of get really um, skeptical or flippant about it. It's like, yeah, you're saying that, but I just don't think it's going to happen. This is God making these promises. We don't have to be skeptical about God making promises. I promise you this the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. What is the purpose about being seized with power? You will be my messengers. So basically, Jesus is saying, You're gonna do incredible things, you're gonna be my light in this world, but you need to be seized with power first. You'll be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, etc., to the remotest places on earth, which is pretty much New Zealand. Promise number four: you will be seized. With power, I love that phrase. Being seized by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Greek again, it's this word dunamis, and um, from that root we get the the English words dynamo, um, dynamite, dynamic. So all of those words we understand there's like an explosive um, meaning to all of those. There is something explosive about being filled by the power of. God, You can't explain it any other way other than it's pretty explosive. It is pretty amazing. I can't explain it any more than that. But it really is dunamis, dynamite. Now, those people that challenge this, they, I don't know, anyone who's actually had the experience of the encounter of being really saturated in the Holy Spirit, you would never start to argue about words and phraseology here because you'd know that Okay, this is explosive. Now, I know there are a lot of people that get caught up in this. Um, But really, let's look at how the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples right throughout the book of Acts. Let's look at how the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church, even up to now. And it is explosive. It is incredible. It is so exciting. Four people are excited. That's why I'm teaching about this. So what does this word mean, dunamis, in the the Greek? Strength, power, ability, influence, power for performing miracles, moral power and excellence of soul. I love that. Moral power and excellence of soul. Living to glorify God. Living to please God. Remember that the Holy Spirit's name is Holy Spirit. He is holy. He leads us to live a holy life, not a legalistic religious life, but a holy life means a life um, living to please God. We we behave a certain way because we're not following rules. We just want to please the heart of God. Power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. Who wouldn't want to be filled with that type of power? Who wouldn't want to be submerged and saturated by the power of God? It's, it's it's a no-brainer for me. So let's just have a look at the promises, just a recap. This is what Jesus says. Every single one. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Advocate who will never leave you. He is with you now, but later will be in you, promise one. Promise two, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Promise three, in a few days from now, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Promise four, I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. So the disciples are in Jerusalem. They're hanging out together. They are really expecting for something. They don't know what, but they know that God's going to give them power. And they understand what He was saying before. Holy Spirit's going to be inside us. This is incredible. So they're all expectant. They're all incredibly hungry and passionate. And that's the key. And I'm going to be ending with this. Uh, We need to get a fresh hunger in our hearts for more of God, for giving more of our lives to God. So there is a completely different thing about how a starving person eats and how someone who has got a full stomach eats, eats. You know, There's a lot of difference in passion there. So let's have a look at the day. It's called the Day of Pentecost. This is when it happened for the first time. Acts 2 verse 1. On the Day of Pentecost... At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem when they heard the loud noise so people filled with God aloud just saying Everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Go down to verse 12. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. Three different or three groups of people were present there the day of Pentecost. There was a group of people that were really encountering God. This was actually happening to them. That's group number one. The second group of people looked, and they were amazed and perplexed. And they were asking, what can this mean? They were curious. They, they were probably wanting the experience themselves. They were open to learning. They were asking the questions. Tell me more about this. What does this mean? And there was a third group of people that just basically debunked it, were very sceptical, I'm spitting, and said they're just drunk. They were explaining it away. Three groups of people, and there are probably three groups of people in this auditorium this morning all listening. Which Group of first people, do you belong to? Please don't be the third one. Where things happen and you don't quite explain, you don't, you, know, you don't understand it and you just shut it off and then you turn to trying to explain it away. And then, heaven forbid, you, you turn it around and say, no, that's not of God. Don't be one of those people. And then Peter stepped forward, verse 14, with the 11 other apostles, shouted to the crowd, "Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming, nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. This is promise number five, wasn't um, promised by Jesus, but it's still a promise. in the last days, God says. I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Isn't that exciting? Everyone, young and old, um, slave or free, different cultures, different uh, backgrounds, and, and God promises this incredible thing to his children. The Holy Spirit will be with you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. You'll be seized with power. You'll be my witnesses to the whole world. So that experience happened then, and, and then we'll, like, in subsequent weeks, weeks, I want to give you more examples in the book of Acts. It just started happening right throughout the book of Acts. And the cool thing, when you read the book of Acts, it doesn't really have a conclusion to the book of Acts. It just keeps going. Because really, we're still living out the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts was like a window into the life of the early church, and, and we are a window into the life of the, the 2021 church. Are we experiencing the power of God? Are we being seized with the power of God? Are we hungering and thirsting after everything that God wants to give us? And um, we love going to the library, and there was just this book, and I got it for like, Fifty cents. It was like a massive handbook, um, outlying or basically um, referencing every time that uh, people have experienced a pouring out um, of the Holy Spirit right throughout history. And we're going right back to the early church up to now. And it's just—I mean—it's it's pretty hard to read because a lot of old English in there. But this is this is happening. This has happened right throughout history. It's so exciting. Are we hungry for the Holy Spirit? in 2021? Even as a Pentecostal church, that's, that's a part of our DNA. Are we experiencing? Are we thirsting? Um, are we continuing in this? So, the great debate, because there is always a debate about this, and, and church is always great at debating. <laughs> um, there are those that believe that you are filled and baptized with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, Um, And then there are those like us. As a Pentecostal church, we believe that it's a separate experience uh, being baptized um, in or with the Holy Spirit. Now, I grew up in a church that uh, taught that very, very strongly, that when you give your life to Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit's baptism. Um, The Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you and then to empower you, and you're filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I never quite got that because I, I definitely wasn't seized with power when I was saved. I definitely didn't encounter the Holy Spirit like we see right throughout the book of Acts when I was saved. I definitely struggled all the time with temptation and with witnessing and all that when I was saved. So that experience sort of didn't add up in, in my understanding even as a kid. And I remember, remember this is quite a traditional church I grew up in. We had a guest missionary speaker once come, and I never saw him again after this probably because he was locked out of the church because he was so crazy. Um, no, just kidding, but maybe. And he, um, and he was saying, I, we absolutely need to be filled with power to do what God wants us to do. And he was talking about his experiences. I can't remember where overseas it was, but he was talking about a village that he had visited, and the kids were being demonically attacked in their beds at night, and these kids had demonic bite marks all over their bodies. And you're thinking, Simon, that just sounds like so far outside my my, my understanding. How can this stuff happens? And so this guy was trying to explain to us, we absolutely need the power of the Holy Spirit like we see in the book of Acts because God wants to send us to those dark places. And we can't do it in our own strength and our own ability. We absolutely need to carry the power of God in our lives. Then he started talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it just started really sparking something exciting in me um, that never left. So that's what I was taught, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, complete, is the same as being saved. And um, this is still very prevalent. And I just want to give you a quote from one of these. It's a prevalent belief. This is just quoting, so there is no way I agree with this, but this is what they say. There are some people who contend that each believer needs a second experience subsequent to salvation to give him power. Many refer to this experience as baptism with the Holy Spirit. It seems best from Scripture to understand the baptism with the Holy Spirit as a non-experiential work that happens to the believer when he trusts Christ. You think about for a second, whoever's writing this is saying, let's look at Scripture and let's look at all the examples in Scripture and we have to conclude by Scripture that the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the being saturated in the Holy Spirit is, is, is not something experiential, but it's something that just happens. No way! No way! I challenge us to look at the book of Acts to read that with an open mind and to understand that being filled with the holy spirit is an encounter that you experience now i know that maybe a reason for the confusion is this There is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and then there's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us when we get saved, right? We ask God into our lives when we get saved, and the Bible is very clear, Romans 8, 9. You are no longer ruled by your desires, but by God's Spirit who lives in you. People who don't have the Spirit of Christ in them don't belong to them. So it's very, very clear that there is an indwelling that comes into us. God comes to live with us and in us when we get saved. But empowerment in the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, being completely submerged in the Holy Spirit like that That cloak that is dyed in that bucket of dye, that's a subsequent encounter. And we wholeheartedly believe in that. It's in our um, church doctrinal statement. We believe that the whole baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from salvation and water baptism and is available to every follower of Jesus for the purpose of supernatural empowerment and victorious living, indwelling, yes, and empowerment. Does it make us any better or any cooler? No, it's, it's, it's a gift, but it's available for all of us. And how dare we think we can actually do what God predestined us to do in this world without the power of God in us. It's just not possible. I could not do it. So my testimony, remember being grown up in a traditional church that I had I had no framework. There was no YouTube clips that you could look at to, to understand what was actually going outside of, of your church. Uh, so this was my experience. I was just really hungry for more of God. And that hunger, remember, it's all about hunger, was growing inside of me. There was a youth rally. The first time I actually raised my hands in a public meeting was a big deal. Um, but right from then, I don't know if anyone else felt the power of the Holy Spirit, but I was I don't know. I just felt God all over me. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't understand what was happening to me, only that I was hungry for more of God. So at the end of the service, they said, if you guys, you know, if things are happening, if you feel the presence of God, come up the front. We'd love to pray with you. Um, So I came up the front and I was shaking all over and crying. So those of you that know me, me crying is a big deal. Um, but but shaking again i didn't even i had i didn't even i never seen anyone else shaking under the power of the holy spirit ever before i didn't have any idea what was happening but i knew one thing it felt like i was completely submerged in the love and the power of god that's the only way I could explain it. So there's like this um, older teenager up the front, and I'm shaking, and I'm thinking like I'm looking like an idiot, and I'm crying, and I don't know, trying to talk to the person wanting to pray for me, and the words just can't come out. Um, and it was an elderly gentleman. I think he said something along the lines of, I think you're being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think you're being saturated in God. And um, Although I didn't speak in an unlearned language then, but something happened. That was definitely a baptism in the Holy Spirit for me, and my life changed. It was so exciting. It was so amazing. Again, I I hadn't read up about anything like this. I hadn't seen it happen. I think I didn't know that there was anyone else that this experience was happening in that youth rally, but it was happening to me. So I was embarrassed, but really excited. So I got home and um, there was a book. I don't even know why it was in our house because we were in a traditional Christian family. And it was like, how to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's like, wow, I read that. Um, and at the end, it says, God wants to give you this incredible language that you can speak and it's worship to God. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I did what every spiritual person does in their bedroom. I knelt down. Um, it was like, this, this, this is what you do. You ask, ask God, the Holy Spirit, to, uh, God to hold, baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So I had to start speaking out. And there's no one else around, so I wasn't going to be embarrassed or anything. Um, the, again, the presence of the Holy Spirit filled my room and I started speaking in this incredible new language um, and it really freaked me out. Again, I, I, didn't, I had never heard anyone else speaking in a different language <laughs> before. Um, it, it freaked me out so much that I spoke for like about 20 seconds, and I stopped. It was like, what is going on? I was like, I'm a bit of a control country person, so it's like, this is crazy. Um, and then I shared the last part of this with you guys a few weeks ago. I um, went to a young adult's home group, and they were talking about this incredible experience of being baptized, being filled with the power of God, um, and it's like, yeah, I want this. And then that was the time where I was released into, you know, I was able to speak confidently in, in this unlearned language. That was me. It was like a, th- a three-part deal with, with me. And um, I know a lot of dif- uh, people's experiences are different to that, and we're going to probably hear some of those in subsequent weeks. But it was explosive. It was experiential. I had been saved for a long time before that, but this was something new and fresh and exciting. I couldn't explain it any other way other than I was Baptized, I was filled. I was immersed in the power and the glory of God. And that experience is available for all of us. Isn't that so awesome? Isn't that so awesome? Can I speak for a few more minutes? Just want to wrap this up, like a couple more minutes. Um, just finish off with Luke 11. Then Jesus gave this illustration. Imagine what would happen if you were to go to one of your friends in the middle of the night, pound on his door and shout, please, do you have some food you can spare? A friend just arrived at my house unexpectedly and I have nothing to serve him. But your friend says, why are you bothering me? The door is locked and my family and I are all in bed. Do you expect me to go get up and to give you our food? I tell you, because of your shameless persistence, even though it is the middle of the night, your friend will get up out of his bed and give you all that you need. So it is with your prayers. So Jesus gives an example, then he gives a bit of teaching. So it is with your prayers. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll discover. Knock on heaven's door and it will one day be open for you. Every persistent person will receive what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he needs. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find the open door. Find an open door. Um, Dave, if we could have you up on the keyboard, it would be awesome. Verse 11. Let me ask you this, do you know of any father who would give his son a snake on a plate when he asked for a serving of fish? Of course not. Do you know of any father who would give his daughter a spider when she asks for an egg? Of course not. If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will the perfect heavenly father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? Isn't that incredible? Jesus gives um, a story, an illustration about being persistent. Then Jesus gives a little bit of a lesson about how to be persistent in prayer. And then he gives the conclusion as to what he's meaning by all of this and the thrust of it. If imperfect parents know how to lovingly take care of their children and give them what they need, how much more will the perfect heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit's fullness when his children ask him? the Holy Spirit's fullness to those who ask Him. We've just got to start asking. We've got to start asking and we've got to start to be persistent and we've got to start to be hungry and we've got to start to be passionate about receiving all that the Holy Spirit has got for us. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you to contact us or to find out what's happening at our church please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.